Welcome back to the Home Church um, Sunday Morning Bible Study Series here at Mount Brook Baptist Church. We are almost um, through the end of the book of Joshua, and we've been walking through um, for several weeks now um, the storyline and, and noticing all that God's doing in and through His people and learning what it is that um, these passages mean for us uh, today. So today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 22. And um, as we begin uh, to look at these passages, I invite you to pray with me as we prepare our hearts. God, we pray that you'd speak to us through your word, and you give us insight into how your word is speaking to us today, and how we can be more faithful followers of you in light of the truth we see in this passage. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would soften our hearts and give us ears that can hear. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. In Joshua chapter 22, um, we see we're at this place in the story of Joshua where the eastern tribes are going to go back home to the land that God had allotted them on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So things are coming to a close. The land has been uh, distributed to all the tribes. The eastern tribes that committed themselves to going across the Jordan and helping to fight the people who lived in the land so that God's people could be established on that side have completed their task and their mission and they're going back home. So with that context in mind, listen to what Joshua, um, the author of Joshua writes beginning in verse 1. At that time Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. So effectively, Joshua says, you, you fulfilled the mission that you committed to um, be a part of by crossing over the Jordan and helping them to be established in the land. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as He promised them. Therefore, turn and go to, to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. So He, he releases them. He says, go home, back to the land that God has given you on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And in verse 5, he gives them this, this reminder to remain faithful to God as they go back home. And really, we see that throughout the book of Joshua, where, where Joshua has this role of continually calling the people to faithfulness when he knows that their hearts are going to be prone to wander from faithfulness to God's Word. And we've seen the tragic incidences of that so far um, in the book, and we're going to see one that's misunderstood here in just a few minutes. But, but as he sends them back, listen to this challenge that he gives them. Verse 5, Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways and to keep His commandments and to cling to Him and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now, this is, a, this is a good reminder, a good summary of um, the important place that God's law and the commandments were supposed to play in the role of God's people during this era of salvation history. And, and as you listen to what he says there, be careful to observe, be very careful, uh, the ESV says, um, to observe the commandment and the law that the Moses, Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, to love the Lord your God remembering that in the Old Testament, the emphasis was not just on obeying laws for the sake of obeying laws, but love was always supposed to be at the heart of God's relationship with His people, even in the Old Testament. 
remember to love the Lord your God. And they were to love Him in response for all that He had done for them to this point. Redeeming them from slavery in Egypt, preserving um, His people as they wandered through the wilderness, bringing them into the promised land. All of this was a sign of God's steadfast covenant love to them. And the appropriate response was, was to be love on their part for God. So he says, remember, keep the commandments and the laws. Remember to love the Lord your God. Remember to walk in His ways and keep His commandments and to cling to Him and serve Him with all your heart. That, that idea of clinging to the Lord is, is, is a challenge to me. Um, but there are moments where um, if I'm not careful, I'm much like the people that we read about here in Joshua. And there are times when I think that I can handle things on my own or in my own power. And, and there's this reminder that, that God calls me to love Him with my, all my heart. And then daily, as I seek to live for Him, to, to cling to Him. To never think that everything that um, I will have to do that day or the requirements that God puts before me in a certain season of life are things that I can handle in my own power. But every moment, every hour, um, I need the Lord to be at work in my life. And so, so I pray that I would walk more in this heart posture toward the Lord, of clinging to Him, of asking Him to keep my heart always inclined to Him, that I would love Him and not just try to obey out of some sense of duty, what I have to do, and that I would walk in a manner worthy of all that God has done for me. So there's that reminder. They're, they're heading back, but as they go back, Moses says, be very careful not to stray from God's Word. Be very careful to keep love for God at the heart of who you are, central to your identity, and to walk in a way that's pleasing to Him. And so He blesses them, and He sends them off. Verse 7, Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. So off, off they go on the journey. But now listen to what happens when they get to the Jordan River. And when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. Now this is the part of the narrative so far in chapter 22 that ought to um, pique our interest, that, that our, our theological antenna, so to speak, ought to pop up and notice this word where he says, they built an altar of imposing size. Now, I encourage you to go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 12, um, especially verses 1 through 14. And the Mosaic regulations there, that there's only one place where there should be an altar. There's only one place where they should worship the Lord. And for obvious reasons, as they go back to their land, there may have been the temptation for them to, to adopt worship practices of, of other peoples that would be surrounding them. So there was this idea that if worship was centrally located in one place where all God's people went on occasion to offer sacrifices and engage in worship, there's a certain amount of control 
over the idolatry and the false worship practices that would have um, potentially been embraced by God's people if they went back and worshiped just wherever they want to. And we see that later in the story of, of where that becomes a problem, where there's two places of worship that God's people um, embrace. And so here's this idea, don't, they're doing it, and the, and the people who are going to hear about it are going to be really concerned. So listen to, what, listen to what happens, verse 11. And the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gab and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan, on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Now this is a strong response, but if you've been paying attention as we walk through the book of Joshua, that there are really serious consequences that, that pop up when God's people in the book of Joshua turn away from God's clearly revealed will for them. Um, it's not a slap on the hand, but there's, there's really serious consequences in death that ensues from them turning away. And oftentimes, um, it was the result that, that many people suffered for one person's sin. And so the Israelites hear of what's happening, and they realize, and they misinterpret. They, they think that they're building this altar so that they could worship in a way that's not authorized in the law. And they know that that might have consequences, serious consequences for them as well. And so they're ready to put an end to this. Verse 13, Then the people of Israel sent, out, sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. Now when we hear about Phinehas, Going That ought to also remind us of a story that we heard back in Numbers chapter 25 when there was um, idol worship. Um, and if you look down um, in verse 17, you see reference to this of Baal at Peor, where the people were involved in pagan idolatrous worship. And Phinehas was one of the people who rose up and stamped out this um, idol worship in very violent means. So when we hear him coming onto the scene, it's a warning that there's somebody coming or somebody there who is really serious about the purity of God's people, worshiping him in spirit and truth, not worshiping him in idolatrous and false ways. So, so all these, as we're reading through here, there's all these kind of um, episodes of the past, some recent, some a little bit farther back, that ought to remind us of the seriousness of what's happening here. Um, so, so he comes, um, verse 15, and the people, and they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the land of the half tribe of Manasseh, in the land of Gilead, and they said to them, Thus the whole congregation of the Lord, what is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? I said, what in the world are you thinking? Why are you doing this? We already know. And so they, they, they give the example of what happened at Peor. They give the example later of what happened to Achan. Um, you remember that earlier in Joshua chapter 7. So they give these examples of, of the times when God harshly punished the people for false worship and idolatrous practices. So they say, like, what in the world are you doing? Not only are um, you likely to perish because you built this altar that wasn't authorized, but we also 
might get wrapped up in your sin. And so, so they come in very strong words to remind them of the significance of what's happening. Verse 21. Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, The mighty one, the God, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, He knows, and let Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today. So they say, if we were doing this for inappropriate reasons, then, then the Lord's judgment fall on us. If we were doing it in an effort to not be faithful to the law, then we, we deserve to be punished, and, and we, we agree with you. Verse 24, No, but we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and the people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. And you can understand what their concern was. If you've ever lived near a body of water like a river, you, you understand how it divides the land in a way that it almost is there over there and we're over here and we don't really have a share in those people. Um, and so they say, hey, we were worried that in the time to come, after all of us have passed away, that your children might think that they have no connection or participation um, or relationship with our children. And so this altar is going to be a witness or a sign between us that we um, are a part of God's people, even though we live beyond the Jordan. Verse 26, Therefore we said, Let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, and between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in His presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, You have no portion in the Lord. So they, they explain their motives, why it is that they had built this altar, not for sacrifices, but as a replica to remind them that they were connected to God's people, that they had a share in the portion of the land that God had distributed to them, some on the western side of the Jordan, some on the eastern side. But the thing that united them was their common relationship to the Lord and the worship that they enjoyed in God's presence. I think there's an easy thing for us to take away for our own um, life of faith today. That even as we come together as a church, um, one of the things that's important about us gathering collectively as a body of Christ here at church for worship is that, that we don't get to, to customize our worship wherever we find ourselves. Or perhaps maybe we would be prone to read the same passages of Scripture all the time, passages that comfort us, passages that encourage us. And there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But we also need to be um, exposed to the whole counsel of Scripture and so when we gather together for worship in a central location, we, we're acknowledging that we need the Lord, and we need each other, and that, that accountability or encouragement that we have with each other is an important aspect of us being formed into the, God, in the people that God's calling us to be. So I think that's one thing. And then the second thing is that the thing that unites us most deeply as God's people is the relationship that we have with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we don't offer sacrifices on altars anymore. Um, but we are people who live on this side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And His sacrifice, His atoning sacrifice for our sins, 
and this new identity that we've been given in Him, um, that is what unites us um, in relationship with each other and with the Lord. So when you walk into the sanctuary and you see a cross displayed, um, that is a symbol, that is a picture um, of what most fundamentally unites us as God's people. And it is a reminder also, of just like God had performed all these miraculous works to bring His people into the land, that He had sustained them, that God has accomplished this miraculous event in the salvation history of the world in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that ought to awaken in us a deep and sincere love for Him that then, by the power of the Spirit, leads us to want to walk in a way that's worthy of Him. So that's a, um, something that I would encourage you to be praying about uh, for us as a church, one that, that our hearts are moved by the love that God has shown for us in Jesus Christ, and then that we find our deepest sense of unity in the cross of Christ, and that compels us to gather together as God speaks to us in His Word and through worship, conform us more into the image of Jesus to be the faithful people that He's called us to be in this world. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we are grateful for Your faithfulness to us. We thank You for what You've done for us, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray that as we contemplate all You've done for us, that it would move our hearts to love You with everything that we have, that we would cling to You, that we would want to live in a way that's pleasing to You, and we draw others to you by our example. We pray that you would give us a deep sense of identity, that just like we're united with generations past through our common faith in Christ, so today, um, and may it be throughout all generations at Mount Brook Baptist, that our deepest sense of commitment and connection to each other is found in the cross of Christ. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.